You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short and formal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. This week, Pastor Andy and I sat down to talk about what the story of the friendship between David and Jonathan has to teach us about friendship in the modern world. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Well, good morning, Zach. It's freezing cold. So cold. I I think it feels colder because on Saturday, it was in the 50s. And then we walked outside yesterday, and it was freezing, and it hasn't improved. Uh-huh. So I'm on my second cup of coffee this morning, partly because it's Monday and partly because it is so cold outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I, I wish that I could say that at some point living in Kansas, you get used to it, but it just never, it never makes sense. Thanks it's for always that. surprising every time. Thanks for that encouragement. <laughs> Thanks for that encouragement. Well, here we are, cold Monday morning in late January. Um, yesterday, uh, continued our uh, series in the life of David, and we zoomed in on um David's friendship with Jonathan, which for me was a really fun study this past week. Um, So we're going to press into some creases this morning. But before we look specifically at uh, David and Jonathan's friendship and and dive into the biblical text, I wanted to start just by shooting at you, Zach. Like, tell me about a childhood friend. When when I say childhood and friend, who comes to mind? Well, um, Man, I know that the first close friendships I had, which honestly didn't really come around. I've always been an introverted person. I've even, my mom even tells stories about how when I was like a baby, like I was more soothed being alone in my crib sometimes than being held. <laughs> like that's how the deeply introversion. <laughs> but uh, my, cl- my closest childhood friends uh, first came about not even because we like had anything in common or because we loved the same things or we um, had some common interests, but because we just like, I went to a small private school and had kind of a difficult experience there where there was like 10 people in my class and they were all, all their parents were pretty wealthy. They were all the children of like doctors and lawyers and, my dad was not poor, but not a doctor or a lawyer. He was a, a youth pastor. And uh, at the time, my mom was the breadwinner of our family. And mm. um, we just came from a cultural background that was really different. And so I remember like, and ha- in a, in a, remember a class of 10 people, one of my f- friends or classmates told me, that his mom didn't want him hanging out with me because I was a bad influence because I said cuss words and the cuss words I said were like crap and dang it and stuff. And I got, and his mom didn't approve of that. And so just the cultural, there was a cultural difference there Mm -hmm. and isolation. And, um, my best friend became this kid, Tyler, who we had nothing in common. And even the older we got and today still like, we don't have the same interests. My interests to him are 
bafflingly weird. <laughs> and uh, like we became best friends through junior high and high school. Um, and then a few other friends that just ended up being in the same crew with us. We kind of had nothing in common. And then in high school, our faith became the thing that we yep. had in common. Yep. But um, all we had in common was that we didn't have anything in common with the other kids. Right. We also weren't athletic. And so we were just yep. us. And so we just hung out. We didn't, uh, we didn't, basically what we had in common was that we didn't love playing basketball like the other boys in our yep. class. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, like, I mean, that, sometimes it's something like that that brings you together, though. Yeah. It's like... Yeah kind of a shared uh just just the simple fact of being the outsiders yeah we're kind of the outsiders and yeah and that brings you together yeah when i think about childhood friendship the the first name that comes to mind is ryan kislich uh i met ryan in elementary school i it's funny my first memory of ryan was being envious of his jordan sixes he had a he had a pair of jordans that i really uh wanted um so I was kind of envious, but we quickly just became friends at recess and um, really did those elementary years together. Did a lot of spending the night at each other's houses on the weekends. Uh, Ryan's Ryan's family, I'm similar socioeconomically to you growing up, uh, kind of a blue collar uh, shift working dad and a uh, odds odds and ends jobs, you know, mom and. Uh, but Ryan's family was maybe that next step up and he played club soccer. So like oftentimes I would ride with him on a Saturday to Denver and he would play in a soccer tournament and then I'd get to eat out with his family on the way home. His family was the first family I knew that had a Motorola StarTech cell phone. I thought it was so cool. I got <laughs> to call my mom in the car on the way home wow. to tell her what time we'd be arriving. So, uh, shout out to Ryan Kislich, uh, I think he's still living in Colorado Springs, and uh, he's got a family now. We haven't connected in several years, but yeah, he was he was a faithful friend through those elementary years. So that's interesting that you bring up this idea of kind of commonality um, as you were thinking about your friend, uh, because C.S. Lewis has this uh, great quote that uh, friendship is is this discovery of, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. That that oftentimes what brings friends together is is this shared interest or this shared passion in something that you have in common. Um, and I think we see that in the David and Jonathan story, really with their uh, their commitment to, to God and to the nation of Israel. Um, that's ultimately what brings them together. But one of, one of the creases that I wanted to press into in this story that's interesting to me is that, you know, Jonathan is so incredibly faithful to David. Like we, that's really where we focused yesterday. Um, dude is just committed to his friend, defends his friend to his father, stands by his friend in those hard moments. And yet at the same time, Jonathan doesn't make Saul his enemy. He's also, if you take a step back and look at it, faithful to his father. Um, he fulfills his responsibilities as a soldier. He stands by his father um, on on the battlefield and ultimately dies on the battlefield next to uh, his dad. 
And I think that's interesting. It's interesting to me that here is Jonathan completely loyal to David, but also loyal to his dad, um, that he didn't pick a side. He could have picked a side. He, you know, Saul's telling Jonathan, hey, David's a threat to you. He's a threat to your kingship when I'm gone. And Jonathan doesn't buy into that. He believes that David's called as God's anointed and he's going to be his right-hand man. But Jonathan also didn't pick sides with David and try to overthrow his dad and the two of them, you know, take the throne that way. He kind of lived in that tension and that nuance of being faithful to both. And I, I just bring that out. I'd love to get your thoughts because I think we're living in, we're living in this cultural moment where like cancel culture is so popular. And I think the easier thing to do oftentimes, whether it's with friendships or politics or whatever, it's easier to just see the world super black and white, to pick a side and to villainize the other side. And I think Jonathan in this narrative models I think a different way forward where he lives in the tension and and in the nuance. And I think that's probably the healthier, the harder way to live oftentimes. Yeah. I think something that the story shows us is the way that the, that both these men, David, because even David remained loyal to Saul while Saul was trying to kill him. And that's wild Mm. to think about that. He's still, and I'm sure we'll get to this story. Yeah, later don't steal, in the don't steal my thunder for yeah. Sunday. Yeah, no, but you're right though. But that he's that David, both David and Jonathan are men of such deep, deep integrity that they're that they're like able to hold that tension. That tension doesn't just eat them right up because yep. it because I think it's like if you have a a dubious heart. And if Jonathan had any sliver of ambition for the throne for himself, David would have been yep. out. Yep. And so it's like there's a a purity, and it's like part of it is just they're in t- such an intense situation in the ancient world, like that things are kind of, like it. Sometimes when I'm reading the Old Testament, <laughs> I I try to just picture. The TV show The Walking Dead. <laughs> this, I, this, I promise, this will make sense. Apoc- apocalyptic zombie a, Old yeah. Testament. Yeah, I, I had a period of time where, like, m- some of my close friends and I, like, every Sunday we watched The Walking Dead, and it's like, what that show does is it like gives you, makes you fall in love with these characters, mm. and then they are faced with these really intense, dark, morally ambiguous situations. Mm. Um, and so someone who at the beginning of the series is just like a loving mother, like four seasons in is like this ruthless assassin uh, who's like willing to do anything for her group right. that she's kind of survival with. survival instinct, yeah. yeah. And so it's like the, being an, in, an intense situation like that, of the, this ancient situation where Israel is surrounded by these nations and they're constantly at war and... It almost like distills things down to their purest. It's like these the friendship between this men is kind of the purest kind of friendship mm. that it could possibly that a friendship could possibly be. Yep. Because they both have gone through the fire of even David like lives in a world where he has to fight lions and bears as a shepherd. Right. And so it's like 
to some extent hard for us to relate to when we live in luxury, the luxury and comfort of like America in the 21st century. It's like, like truthfully, my heart is a lot more conflicted and dubious right. than these men. And so it's probably harder for me to be that, to have to imagine having that kind of loyalty and friendship. It is interesting though. Listen to you talk, just, it, it, you know, that those pressure situations ultimately expose what's in you. Like they, they reveal the character. Yeah. And I think one of, yeah, it's, it's a profound thing that in this tension that Jonathan is faced with and David, um, that integrity uses out that love of Yahweh fear yeah. of God oozes out of them. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a word for us. And I, I think just a call to like, live in the tension. Sometimes life, oftentimes life in a fallen world is living in the tension mm. where there, there, there's a tension between relationships and we're going to want to pick a side because it's actually a pressure release. Mm. It's easier to just villainize somebody or to villainize a group mm. and to go, man, I stand with these people in this truth and I'm just going to bulldoze my way forward. Mm. And I think what we see here is, is something different. It's, it's, it's covenant. It's covenant. It's the difference between consumer relationships and, and covenant relationships, which is mm. something we I kind of hinted at yesterday in the sermon, but didn't press all the way into. You, you know, in a consumer relationship, there's really uh, kind of a cost-benefit calculator going on. How does this relationship benefit me? Mm. Um, and the second it doesn't benefit me anymore, I cut ties. Mm-hmm. You know, and... That's some of what we're saying with Jonathan. He could have evaluated that either way, either with Saul or with David, mm-hmm. and just cut ties. He doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in a covenant relationship, there's a committedness to it. It's yeah. steadfast. Yeah. It's funny. I. It made me think of like this movie, The Town, where it's like, you know, these kind of band of brother, uh, like Irish mobsters you know, doing, doing these heists and Ben Affleck's the, the protagonist, he's the main character. And is it Jeremy Renner is the, he's, he's kind of in his group and this dude's, he gives terrible advice. He gets Ben Affleck in trouble over and over and you're going, Ben cut ties with the dude. Just like he's terrible. He's toxic and he just won't do it because it's, they're just family. It's just family. And there is zero cost benefit analysis here. And it's just like, I just, I don't abandon my, my brother, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's funny that the town came to mind and thinking about David and Jonathan. Um, but I think, I think that's what a covenant relationship is. It's just, there's a stick to itiveness yeah. in it. And there's, there's no thought of like, how does this benefit me? It's, how do I serve the other? How do I stay committed to this thing no matter what? And I think that kind of ties into something something you got into at the beginning of the sermon yesterday that that just the, the loneliness that we experience mm. in our culture. And I think a big part of that loneliness is a result of this um this shift from covenant relationships or committed relationships and family of course is in 
human in any human society, the most obvious example of that. Um, and I think it's a very American thing, a very Western thing to think of ourselves as individuals set, set apart. And then also as individual consumers. So like I, decide what I need for myself in my life and I pick and choose, you know, I curate and it's like everything in our media saturated culture, especially has become just like, uh, I think Jefferson Bethke talks about how we, he has a book called take back your family where he talks about Mm. how the home has become, it used to be a place of productiveness production where the family worked together and so, like, um, even the idea that, like, the man goes out and is the breadwinner and he brings home the money, like, that's a 20th century a modern idea. The, like, mo- throughout most of history, the way the family worked was everybody worked together to produce value. And everybody did that in the home, on the farm. And so, now today we have the home has become a place of that the world is where you go produce value separately as individuals and the home is the place where we consume mm. whatever media we wow. like and so everybody it's like everybody consumes their own media and this is something that I struggle with yep week to week in my life of like it feels that way it feels like home is the place where I go to sit down and take in consume and then it's like those habits get into our relationships. Yep. Then of course the inevitable result is that we're going to be lonely and isolated. Our families will fracture because, because we don't treat our relationships as covenants anymore, but merely another product to be consumed. That's good. That's good. Even that idea was, it made me think of something Alan, I heard Alan Hirsch say several years ago, the difference between community and communitas. He's, Mm. he's nuancing here. He's parsing here, but, but oftentimes what we try to do is we try to construct or create community. And he says what communitas is, is it's community formed through mission, kind of mm-hmm. common goal. Mm-hmm. And hearing you talk about, you know, the family before the 20th century, there was a natural communitas that formed in the common mission of, of productivity mm-hmm. together. I think that's oftentimes where we find our friends, right? You know, through work or through some shared hobby or interest where there's there's a shared mission that builds relationship yeah through that and i think the more that we we isolate through you know technology yeah it that's an interesting thought there i think it's pretty dead on that that we're actually isolating ourselves through just consumption um through social media through netflix through whatever instead mm-hmm. of like shared Shared mission, shared enjoyment. Um, and the truth is that consumption is like, it's just so much easier that it's it's so much easier than the complicated, messy, messiness, which again, to go back to David and Jonathan, the messiness of covenant relationships. Yep. It's like, what a, what a situation of family drama where your dad and your best friend want to kill each other or, or, or not kill each other, but there's this enmity between the two people right. you care about most in the world. And it's like, it's much simpler to just live in a consumer world, but it's, it's 
so lonely. And so it tricks us. It's literally killing us. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll end here just with, if it is hard, what, like, why press in? Um, and how do we press in to actually being real friends and engaging in real relationship, mm. deep relationship that we see in the David and Jonathan story? Mm. Any thoughts there? Well, a while ago, I, I heard a podcast about this community. There's this community of people in the United States who they go by different like titles, but they call themselves like disaster junkies or there's other name. I think that's probably the crudest name you can think of for them (laughs) because it sounds like a messed up thing, but there's this group of people that save up their vacation days and spend their money on chainsaws and trailers. And they, whenever there's a flood or a tornado or anything, they spend weeks months going and helping and traveling and they're just wait they're waiting for the next one because of the high that comes from that communica communitas that you're talking about from that shared mission of like yeah this thing has happened and lots of the people in this community are people who experienced the disaster and then found that they were nostalgic for the days after the disaster because everyone was just working together yep and everyone had experienced both this terrible, terrifying thing. And on the other side of it, it kind of sometimes brings out the best of human nature where people are working together on something. And yep. I think we need to, you know, and this could apply to who we are as a church too. It's like, how do we, in some sense, like manufacture that? for our lives like how do we give ourselves that sense of because you know it's like part of that's just reminding ourselves the disaster that we're in as humanity and yeah the disaster that surrounds us of of the mess of our lives mm. and kind of setting out on that mission as a church to be be kind of disaster junkies like to not ignore and push that away and go into our home, go away into our homes to individually consume things, but to go out into that disaster and be, well, I think there's like a kind of get to work. There's a huge temptation, I think, to try to build a church around consumerism, mm. where we try to attract people with amazing programs and ministries, and mm. it's it's kind of the the Chipotle of church where you get to pick what ingredients goes in the burrito, mm. you know, and um, and that sells, man, that attracts, yeah. but I think ultimately it doesn't satisfy deep down. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what God is inviting us into are relationships of steadfast commitment and vulnerability. And that's scary and it's messy and there's mm-hmm. tension there. Um, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. And um, you described it as a nostalgia, but like, man, when, when you're living in the midst of mess with people, it's like you experience the presence of Jesus there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a profundity there. There's a, there's uh, it's, it's different mm-hmm. and it's, it's more satisfying. And so I think, yeah, we'll put a period here. I think I think Jesus is inviting us into something deeper than consumerism when it comes to friendship, when yeah. it comes to our relationships. And that 
the church is actually actually the place as followers of Jesus where, and you kind of said this going back to your story of, of your childhood, where you go, you too? I thought I was the only one mm. as it relates to your relationship with Jesus, mm. that Jesus brings us together and creates this, you know, this gravity, this center for us to share our lives together. Yeah. Um, and so let's not miss out on that invitation and live in the periphery, but let's press in together in the mess. Um, and as we, I think, as we live in that committedness with one another, something beautiful happens. Yeah. I like, I like that metaphor of being disaster junkies. It's a good, that's a good picture of friendship. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. (laughs) Well, dude, this has been fun. Uh, don't forget to wear your coat today. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see you soon. All right. If you want to find out more about City Life Church, or if you have any questions about the kind of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.